It's three o'clock. Hello and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series, Israel Insider with Mr. Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey McKenna and I will be moderating today's discussion. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each week to update us on all things Israeli. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for roughly 10 to 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. Uh, we will do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants on this webinar, so I apologize in advance if we do not get to yours today. And now, with no further ado, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey. Um, good to be here again. It's been uh, two weeks since we, we last had this webinar, and two, you know, they say uh, 24 hours is a long day, a long time in Israeli politics, so two weeks it's a very long time. I've been saying since the beginning of this uh, webinar series that there will be a national unity government, that it was just posturing, uh, you know, between the sides, whether they would, you know, sort of play this game of chicken, who could get what out of the negotiations. Uh, you know, even up until the last minute, there was talk that there wouldn't be a national unity government. There was even talk that Prime Minister Netanyahu was negotiating at the last minute while negotiating with Benny Gantz. He was also negotiating with Amir Peretz of the Labour Party to bring in uh, two members of the Labour Party, just two, that he would be able to reach that magic number of 61 that we've talked about for the last few weeks, uh, be able to form a government without Benny Gantz. Uh, and there was talk of him offering the two-member Labour Party five ministries, uh, including a rotation of uh, prime minister at the end of the third year. I think this was all talk. I don't believe that that was a, a serious proposition. Um, it was, again, probably just to put pressure, but in the end it worked. Both sides came to the table and earlier in the week, they signed an agreement. Now, uh, as opposed to what everybody else is saying, there is no government yet. There are still many steps to take uh, before we reach a government. First of all, because it's the Knesset that's in charge of finding a candidate to be the next prime minister, any candidate, which now will be uh, Netanyahu, has to uh, receive 61 signatures uh, of other, or 60 other signatures of members of uh, Knesset before then they go back to the president who then will accept it. But there are various other stages. First of all, there are people who have gone to uh, the Supreme Court and try to invalidate uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu as the next prime minister on the basis of the fact that he's standing trial, he's indicted and is going to be standing trial within weeks uh, for three very serious uh, cases of breach of trust, of fraud, et cetera, et cetera. Now, up until now, when anyone has gone to the Supreme Court to ask them to disbar Netanyahu, the Supreme Court has said, we're not ruling on uh, a theoretical position because he's no, he is not at the stage where he's ready to form a government, but now we're in different territory. Now he is almost ready to form a government. What that will mean, who knows? One of the things that Netanyahu and Likud did try and do during the negotiations was try to put something in the agreement with Blue and White that if the Supreme Court disbarred Netanyahu, um, then they'd just go, uh, it would basically they would try and overrule it. Now, uh, that wasn't put, the language wasn't uh, put in there in the agreement in the end. If they do disbar Netanyahu, in theory, then we'll, we will go to those. Uh, fourth elections. Um, 
I, I don't really have a sense of where the Supreme Court will go on that. Um, it's unclear. There's, we don't have a constitution, as many of you know, but certainly we don't have a written constitution. So the law is not clear on exactly this particular uh, point. Uh, but even so, Netanyahu still has to negotiate at the moment he's brought in. At the moment we're talking about, uh, I, I think it's 36 Likud. He now has 15 uh, blue and white, or at least the Benny Gad side of blue and white, because he appeared. And the Telem party, or at least part of the Telem party, it gets a bit confusing, uh, is remaining in the opposition. So his 36 plus 15 with Benny Gantz, that's 51. Now he has two members of Telem, and he has Orly Levy, uh, who broke off from the Labour Party, and two members of the Labour Party. The only other party that he's actually signed with so far is United Torah Judaism, the Ashkenazi uh, ultra-Orthodox party, which apparently negotiations lasted seven minutes. And as we've seen with every other coalition negotiations with Netanyahu, the easiest negotiations always with United Torah Judaism, the Shas, the Sephardic ultra-Orthodox party will join very, very shortly. The big question mark remains over Yamina, the right-wing uh, National Religious Party of Naftali Bennett. Um, there's a lot of bad blood. This is not going to be easy negotiations. They have four, let's say, uh, heavy hitters at the top of the party, each of which have been a minister in the past, each of which want to be a minister in the next government, but they already have six seats. So to give four ministries to a party of six seats is obviously quite a high price, but we will have 36 eventually 36 ministers in the next government. That's what, what was agreed. And I believe 16, something like that, uh, deputy ministers, that's an absolute record. Uh, it's three times the amount of many other countries like Austria, uh, who have 11. I think Switzerland has uh, 12 ministers, much larger countries. We will have 36 ministry, ministers. Um, and so the debate is now whether Yamina can be brought in. Uh, Yamina, in, interestingly, is not focusing on the issue of annexation because that is in the agreement with Blue and White. Um, and they know that that's either going to be dealt with or won't. Uh, Naftali Bennett has put out uh, press releases saying that they are pushing for a more liberal type economy, especially with the coronavirus hitting the Israeli economies, it's hitting economies across the world very, very hard. Uh, so that's the kind of line he's taking. Perhaps it's in preparation of sitting outside so they can uh, be a robust uh, liberal with a small L opposition uh, to what are going to be very uncomfortable and difficult economic times ahead. Uh, there's a big debate. Some people think that uh, they will stay out. Some people think that they'll go in. My feeling is that they will go in. They're trying to push for a hard bargain, but I don't believe Naftali Bennett fought for a year, over a year, to get back to where he has, just to sit in the opposition, um, sit alongside parties which he vehemently disagrees with, whether it's merits or the Arab parties. He will find common themes with Avigdor Liebman of the Israel Betainu party, which has also said it's uh, going to sit out, but it will be relatively uncomfortable and it will make them even less relevant than they have been in the last uh, few elections, because as we've seen, the numbers have gone lower and lower and lower. So I believe that they will uh, enter the government. Um, but Netanyahu doesn't need them to form a government, so their, their hand is very weak, and that's exactly how Netanyahu likes it. Um, so these are the things that still have to be worked out. We will still have a good few weeks uh, in Israel until we have uh, officially a government. Next week, we 
commemorate uh, Yom HaZikaron, which is the day, a memorial day for Israel's fallen, fallen soldiers and victims of terror, followed by uh, Yom HaTzmud, which is Israel's Independence Day. Uh, the government has already put out guidelines that you are not allowed to leave your homes or your communities. Usually these are very big days for Israel. Uh, the, the day uh, Yom HaZikaron is a day where people will go and visit their loved ones that they lost in wars and terror attacks, and basically the government is not going to allow it, uh, obviously because of fear of the spreading of coronavirus. And the massive parties that will happen on Yom Atzmurt have all been cancelled. Every town, every city, every neighborhood has big, big parties, firework displays at night, barbecues in parks up and down the country. They will obviously all be uh, abandoned this year. Ramadan is starting uh, in, in a couple of days and there's also been similar stipulations placed on the Muslim community that they are not allowed to celebrate outside of the nuclear family, outside of the family lives in a particular home. In other words, the usual family uh, and clan celebrations uh, and, and you know, village-wide or town or city-wide celebrations have all been canceled. Um, but Israel has started relieving some of the uh, harsher sort of sanctions some special education uh, programs are being allowed to return in a, in a school setting. We're now allowed beyond our 100 meters from our home to 500 meters for exercise. More people are going back to work. So we're starting to see the positive trends in that. Um, as far as infection rates, they've actually started going up a little bit, but I, it can't be because of these, uh, uh, the release of restrictions because that was only a couple of days ago. Um, but like everywhere else, they're trying to manage it, suppress it, keep it as low as possible. Um, and that's kind of where we are at the moment. I think with that, I'll, I'll open it up to questions, if there are any. Stacey? Thank you so much. We have uh, quite a few questions coming in. After the establishment of a unity government, who are the winners and who are the losers? Um, I think Netanyahu is the number one winner. I think he gets a lot more with a national unity government, and that's why I felt that he would always uh, go with a national unity government. Uh, he gets stability for at least a year and a half because Benny Gantz will not want to break apart the government and ruin his chances to be prime minister. If that will happen, the majority of Israelis do not believe that Netanyahu will pass over the reins in a year and a half. I think something like only 30% believe that he will. Um, but he gets stability for a year and a half, especially in an extremely complex and difficult economic period and social period ahead. Uh, so he definitely gains that. And there'll be no one party that will be able to bring down the government. If you look at the numbers in the end, it'll be something like 76. And the largest party outside of the Likud within that government will be uh, blue and white, which I believe is 15. So there'll be no one party that will be able to bring down the government. Uh, which happens quite a lot, you know, the threats are there. And as long as they need the numbers of those in a particular party, then they're, you know, susceptible to these threats. Uh, so it gives him a lot of stability, which is something that he wants. Uh, Benny Gantz gets a lot of ministries. Uh, he gets a potential opportunity to sit in the prime minister's office. He will be defense minister for at least the next year and a half and a position of um, basically, it's, it's going to be unprecedented when the prime minister is sworn in, there'll be two prime ministers sworn in. Uh, so that, that's a way that Benny Gantz put in the language. So it would be an automatic process in your half rather than having to go back and swear in. And that would be a 
problematic uh, step if there was there was a challenge. Um, so he gets to be sort of uh, a substitute prime minister for the next year and a half and defense minister. And he gets a foreign ministry for his good friend, Gabi Ashkenazi and various other ministers. So he has got the potential to do something, make some noise. But my feeling is at the end of this, uh, he will look back and it won't be a particularly profitable time for him politically. Um, Yale appeared of the Yeshatid party, the other side of blue and white. One could argue that he's lost out. Victor Liebman has also lost out because they believed that Benny Gantz would join them in trying to topple Netanyahu, which they didn't. Uh, the ultra-Orthodox parties are pretty much as strong as they were. Every issue which they care about, they've pretty much been given in the coalition negotiations. But I just don't think you can walk away with anything. Netanyahu is still the most powerful person in the country by far. Within his party, no one is able to challenge him, even though there's been a lot of anger in the way that he has run the response to coronavirus. Uh, he's basically put out uh, uh, regulations and only had the cabinet voting on them afterwards, which, you know, in, in the US, you have a presidential system. Here we have a governmental, uh, parliamentary system, and the executive is the cabinet. Prime Minister is just one of many votes, but Netanyahu has basically got whatever he wanted uh, on these programs and the way to run the economy, to run the restrictions against the coronavirus. And that will certainly continue because I think he's shown himself to be uh, the leader of the country. And as I said, we're we've been moving towards a presidency away from the parliamentary system without actually enacting any laws or constitutional reform uh, that would... Uh, create such a system. So Netanyahu is basically, I would argue, even more untouchable than he was a few months ago. Thank you. What are the ramifications of the charges against Mr. Netanyahu now? I mean, they're very serious and there's even talk of more cases coming. Um, obviously, you know, like in any, in any uh, democracy, he's innocent until proven guilty, but there are very serious charges. And um, the, the court cases are supposed to start in the next few weeks, but they will go on for many, many years. Uh, Netanyahu has no interest in speeding this process up. He'll use, as he has done up to this point, his lawyers to push back um, as much as possible. And this process will go on for many, many years. So it's, it's very, it won't have a short-term effect or even medium-term effect because now he has this stability I talked about before. He has this security of a year and a half. Uh, so we will probably see the prime minister going in and out of court in a very uncomfortable situation to have the leader of a country uh, sitting in criminal court, uh, but it won't affect him probably politically for now. <coughs> Thank you. What is the long-term strategy for the survival of Israel considering coronavirus is damaging the economy? And according to a recent Middle East Forum article, Iran is planning more attacks. Well, the long-term survival of Israel, I mean, um, you know, it's, it's like any other country. I don't think the coronavirus will affect the long-term legitimacy or survival of Israel. It's going to be a difficult period, as it will be globally. Um, but I think Israel will get through it. Israel has done pretty well up until now um, in stemming the, the flow of the virus. 
Um, so I don't think there'll be a necessarily a problem there. It'll be very troubled uh, and challenging times ahead, uh, economically and socially, but it will be everywhere else in the world. Um, Iran is certainly using this uh, time as an opportunity to uh, you know, rattle the sabers. They say we heard about the satellite launch. We heard about uh, its harassment of American ships in the Gulf. Um, so they obviously are using this time to try and put pressure, but Iran is suffering. Iran is suffering socially, politically, and above all, economically. So there are opportunities if the international community want to place more pressure on Iran, especially at this time. And something that uh, Israel has called for in the last 24 hours is greater sanctions on Iran uh, because of its uh, aggressive behavior. Thank you. Will the unity government have an effect on relations with the United States? I think it would just have positive uh, effect. Uh, we saw when President Trump rolled out the peace plan, he invited not just Prime Minister Netanyahu, but also at that point, uh, the main opposition leader, uh, Benny Gantz, uh, to discuss the rollout in, in DC with him. Um, we heard Mike Pompeo come out and speak very positively uh, about the fact that there is a government, it's a national unity government, if there is going to be movement on the issue of annexation and sovereignty, it certainly is better for the US and it's certainly better for Israel if the main two parties, the center left and the center right, uh, are standing together in agreement uh, on the major issues of the day. So I think it's, uh, it will be seen very favorably. The fact that Israel has a government is something which has certainly disturbed you know, relations with many countries and the US is no exception. So the fact that there is now a government moving forward is, is, is seen favorably in DC and it will certainly mean that a lot of plans that uh, they have together, whether it is annexation or whether it is the moving forward with the, the Trump peace plan will certainly be much easier. Okay. Are Israeli youth conscious of Israel's security concerns or are they attracted towards the peace camps penchant for unilateralism at the expense of focusing on defense issues? Well, don't forget Israel's, I mean, it depends what you call Israel's youth, but don't forget in Israel, when you're 18, you go to the army. Again, with certain exceptions with the Arab and ultra-Orthodox community. Um, so when you're 16, 17, you're already starting to think about what you're going to do in the army. You're starting to go for testing. You're starting to go for meetings. So you're very conscious that you're not going, you know, there are people who go straight to university, especially if it's something that can contribute uh, to the army, whether it's uh, medical or legal or whatever. But most Israeli youth are going to the army. Interestingly enough, as opposed to places like the US and Europe, uh, the youth of Israel tend to move to the right. Uh, and if you look at the numbers, uh, Likud especially, or parties on the right have a relatively, in, in, you know, in percentage terms, a uh, high number of youth uh, who are supporting them. In fact, you know, a big uh, pastime during Israel elections is they go to high schools and they have a whole panel there, everyone, all the different parties represented, and afterwards they take a poll. And even in the pockets of, you know, what are seen as more left-wing, uh, a liberal support, um, the right wing does very, very well, even better probably than in the national elections. So it's, it's very different to other places in the West where uh, the youth, don't forget, who have grown up never seeing a Palestinian leader, an Israeli leader in the same room, negotiating, shaking hands. They, you know, they, 
if you're more than 27 years old, you never experienced Oslo. Um, you never experienced, you know, let's say the, he the, the, the heady days of the, the peace process. What you have experienced are conflicts with Hamas, terrorist attacks, uh, threats from Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, uh, Iran. Uh, this is, you know, you, you probably spent a certain amount of time in safe rooms as a result of rocket attacks. You, you know people have gone off to war. You know, it's, it's a very different effect because, you know, we, we feel it here and, and the youth have grown up on that. Um, so that's probably a reason for why Israeli youth tend to veer more to the right. Understood. What are Netanyahu's approval ratings in the country as a whole now? Um, I mean, the last ones, he's, he's been pretty consistently good. Uh, they have gone down uh, in recent weeks on his handling of coronavirus. I think if you split his handling into uh, managing the spread, he's done pretty well. You know, if you look at uh, statistically, Israel's done better than many, many other countries around the world, let alone, you know, just even in the OECD. Where there is anger is on the economic and social front. Israel's unemployment is up to a million and a quarter, I believe, which is massive for a country of nine million people. Um, and very few uh, assistant or aid packages have actually been released. There's numbers today in, in the uh, finance committee in the Knesset, I heard the chairman uh, gave a whole speech where basically said hundreds of thousands have asked for unemployment payments and only a few thousand be given out you know, tens of thousands of people have asked for these loans, which have been talked about as part of uh, aid and assistance packages, and only a few hundred have actually been given out. So the government has been pretty slow to react on that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, discomfort and uh, unease about the fact that the economy hasn't even started to go back, uh, considering the numbers and considering the relatively low level of infections, and especially when they're groups in clusters, um, people want to see far more restrictions uh, relieved. Uh, even this week, some, some schools are supposed to be going back to some programs and they basically put such ridiculous criteria that they simply were not able to. And obviously, if the schools are not working, a lot of people cannot go to work. Um, there's been major, major disagreements about the uh, education system. The head of the teachers union basically came on TV and said, I'm not prepared to give up one day of my summer vacation, and the teacher's summer vacation, to make up for this, which she became the most hated person in Israel as a result. Um, so Netanyahu's handling of the crisis is, is definitely weakened, um, but the signing of the agreement with Blue and White and the, you know, the putting together of a national unity government is certainly popular. Uh, last time I saw 62% approval rating in Israel with 22% against. Um, but I, I, as I've said from the beginning, as the weeks and months carry on, there'll be uh, a certain amount of resentment and anger at the leadership, as will happen probably in every country, usually happens with these crises. First of all, solidarity, and then there'll be more and more resentment, regardless of the steps that the leadership takes. So this is the trend that we're already seeing, and we see that many other places around the world. Thank you. What does the annexation plan look like in the coalition agreement? Is it the entire West Bank or is it just the Jewish villages and towns and area C? What is the Palestinian reaction to this plan? Well, there, there's no details in the, uh, in the agreement. Um, 
the idea is to the idea, especially before coronavirus uh, reached us, was that the Israelis and the Americans would put together a team, a committee, that would look over uh, the whole of the territory and see what areas can be annexed, when, at, uh, at what portion, and, and all these sort of things. Obviously, with coronavirus and the attention elsewhere, that hasn't happened. But according to the, um, the Director General Prime Minister's office, although it hasn't happened in great level, there's still been, it's still on a low burner. So these discussions have taken place. In the agreement itself, it just said that after July 1st, uh, they'll be able to move forward on this. I don't believe that Netanyahu will move forward without the approval of the Trump administration. And I'm sure there'll be lots of contacts between now and then. Um, but it's unclear exactly what's going to happen. Uh, the Trump plan did have a map, but obviously that was just a recommendation suggested map and that will obviously be poured over to see what can at what point maybe there'll be different stages um palestinian reaction has been obviously uh quite uh showing a certain amount of displeasure uh they basically said that uh pompeo's reaction today which was that it's up to israel to decide what it will annex and how and when and uh palestinians basically threaten as they have many, many other times over the years, that um, they're prepared to rip up the Oslo Accords and agreements, which they, they threatened probably every couple of months since 1993. So we don't put too much uh, uh, emphasis in that. But obviously, it's, it's not good for them. They're unhappy about it. And, uh, but I think they, like everyone else, is just waiting to see what will happen after July 1st. So the lockdown has had a decimating effect on, tour on the tourism industry. Is there any discussions yet about when the borders might be reopened for visitors to Israel? And will the government bail out El Al? I think regarding the last part, I think they have to uh, bail out El Al, as every national carrier will probably be bailed out by their, uh, their government, because simply to rebuild a national carrier will cost far more than to bail out. So I think El Al will emerge from this as the national carrier in a better position than all the other private carriers. And that will be true, I think, of many uh, national carriers around the world. Um, as far as the timetable for opening the borders, as someone far more knowledgeable on this said, it's, it's the only timetable, I think it was even, um, I can't remember what it was, the only timetable that matters is the coronavirus timetable. It's not for anyone else to decide. Is there going to be a second wave? Is it going to be a third wave? When is it going to come? Um, I don't believe that the borders will be fully opened before uh, the end of the summer. Um, you know, they're talking about September at the, you know, even to start thinking about it. Um, and I think that will be true of most places. So I, you know, if anyone's thinking of taking a holiday in Israel, we will welcome you. We hope you come, but I'm not sure now is the best time to start planning your summer vacation uh, in Israel. I know quite a few people have already cancelled. It's, it's decimating the tourism industry, uh, hotel industry, etc. As it is, again, Israel's not unique to that, even though we do have quite a large tourism industry. Um, but hopefully at some point, you know, when we can manage the coronavirus, not even necessarily get rid of it, I'm sure we'll, we'll come back uh, stronger than ever. Thank you. Do you think that President Rivin Rivlin has acted unwisely during building 
of the coalition, only forcing Lukid and Blue and White to promise compromise after the third election. Why did the agreement between Netanyahu and Gantz not take place after the first election? Well, I think at the end, at the end, you can argue that President Rivlin's uh, steps that he took to sort of basically, in essence, threaten them, say you have 21 days to to deal with this, to to get this over the line, and it worked because you know the proof is that the agreement was signed. Um, so you can say that that was quite prudent, uh, rather than wasting more time. And, you know, if perhaps he would have given the mandate to Netanyahu, Netanyahu would have had such a strong hand that he wouldn't have needed Benny Gantz. And then we maybe would be back to this game of chicken, whereas one is a much better situation than the other. Um, why didn't we get here before? I think simply coronavirus gave a lot of people with ladders to come down from very high trees. I think that's, that's simply where it was. Benny Gantz said he would not sit with a prime minister under indictment. Prime Minister Netanyahu called Gantz for a year, weak, uh, unleadership-like, someone, you know, unfit for office. Um, you know, you have Amir Peretz of the Labour Party, who's going to join the coalition, who shaved his moustache and said, just so you can read my lips, I will not sit with Netanyahu. And here he is on the uh, eve of sitting with Netanyahu. So I think that everyone can basically blame the coronavirus uh, for saying, you know, during a crisis, we all need to do things that we wouldn't do in other normal times. I think that was, it, it gave basically a lot of people uh, a lot, uh, an excuse to arrive at this point. Um, and that's where we are. The numbers also worked out better during early elections. Gantz uh, had higher numbers, had more of a chance of uh, securing perhaps uh, a majority. Uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, it's the coronavirus crisis that basically uh, allowed everyone to come down. Thank you. And for our closing, do you have any last thoughts or remarks to share with our audience before we end this briefing? Um, I mean, you know, we've been talking about this national unity government. We've been talking about a government now for I don't know how many weeks since we started this. And my prediction was, regardless of the talk, regardless of the threats, it would come. Um, and I believe that will still happen, even though we're not quite there yet. Um, There'll be a lot of stability uh, moving forward. Um, and I think Israel needs that. Above all, Israel needs stability, whether you're in favor of Netanyahu or Gantz or whatever it is. I think a lot of people will say, at least we have a government. And during this time, you know, this global uh, pandemic, I think uh, to go into another elections would have been highly irresponsible. Um, and I hope that there will be structural changes uh, to the Israel political system after these 14 months of instability. I don't see it happening because there are too many people invested in this current system, but I think there needs to be. Uh, and that's what I would really hope that the next government, as well as dealing with the coronavirus itself, the economic and the social fallouts, I believe that we have to, after many, many years, we have to start dealing uh, and reforming the system because we've already started moving towards political paralysis and we cannot afford to wait another generation where just this will happen in greater numbers and will not be able to move forward, uh, you know, during times of crises like we see now. Sorry, we have one more question before we go. Can you give us a quick update on the Middle East Forum's Israel activities? 
Um, yes, I mean, you know, we're, we're, st we're still working. Uh, we're waiting for the government uh, because we have very good relations. Uh, we had good relations with the last functioning government. Uh, you know, all levels from the prime minister, president, ministers, MKs from across the political spectrum. So, you know, we're, we're well placed to regain those relations. We'll start up our caucus that was uh, certainly one of the biggest and most successful caucuses in the last Knesset. Um, and our relations with uh, uh, decision makers and opinion shapers, NGOs across the, uh, the wide political, uh, diplomatic and security spectrum. We've started a security um, officials forum called uh, Generals for an Israel Victory, uh, a very impressive form uh, IDF generals, which are giving their viewpoints um, on the issues of the day, whether it's regarding Hamas, Iran, Hezbollah, or the other security challenges that Israel faces. So the, uh, the Middle East Forum Israel offices has not stopped working even in coronavirus. Obviously, with all its challenges, we're, we're meeting every day by Zoom, uh, and we're discussing next steps. But uh, we're, we're pretty confident that we're going uh, to be back in the Knesset like we were last time with, with, with support from parties from across the spectrum, like we had uh, during the last function in Knesset. Wonderful. Uh, we have come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Mr. Perry, for joining us today. On Friday, we will be with Winfield Myers and Clifford Smith speaking on how Congress can start reforming Middle East studies. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.